For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Welcome to the Rock Podcast. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we have two fairly well-known incidents. An unbelieving Gentile, Naaman, who comes to faith, while Elijah's servant, Gehazi, departs from the faith. Both of these incidents contain rich insights for us. Let's join Pastor Ross now in a message entitled, Naaman's Cure and Gehazi's Curse. All righty. Good evening again. Let's get started. 2 Kings chapter 5. Good to be back in the pulpit. I didn't get a chance to teach on last Wednesday or this last Sunday when we had Dr. Mark Hitchcock. And so uh, I forget how to do this. How do we do this? All right, here we go. Let's start with the word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just acknowledge your presence here and our desperate need. These truths are spiritually discerned or understood by the Spirit, and so we ask that your Spirit would uh, speak these truths to our hearts and our spirit, that we might make sense of it, understand it, put it into practice, and be blessed. We thank you, God, what an incredible chapter and uh, invaluable truths and insights about this great salvation and relationship with God that we have. What a privilege and an honor. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, tonight here in chapter 5 of Second Kings, uh, here in Israel at 850 years B.C., we get to see how a man comes to faith and how a man falls from faith. And they're two separate individuals. And so first to the man who finds the Lord, uh, verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, which is modern-day Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master, the king, and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Assyria had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So let's pause there. And number one, if you're taking notes and if we're thinking about how this uh, incident and this uh, life of Naaman uh, symbolizes the great work that the Holy Spirit does in us for salvation, uh, it would, number one, begin with the awareness of our need, the awareness of our need. So these opening verses introduce us to a man named uh, Naaman. We're introduced to his position. He is a commander. He's number two man in Syria. Uh, His character is a great man. Uh, And uh, though he has a lot going for him, he has a problem, and it's a deadly problem. And so we're introduced both to the problem and also to the potential cure. Now, 
the biggest part of the chapter is really about coming to faith. And though it's the Old Testament, uh, we recognize ourselves in the story. You know, in Second Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, rather, chapter ten, the opening verses of that chapter, at which I talk about a lot. Paul says, by the inspiration of the Spirit, that a lot of what you're reading in the Old Testament is just a picture, really, also, not only is it historically accurate, but it's also a picture, a prophetic picture of Christ, his work on the cross, uh, the church, salvation, Christian mission. Uh, It's a, a wonderful picture of things to come at the culmination of the age which we are now living in. So it's not just a story about this guy in Syria who comes to know the Lord. This is a story about how you come to know the Lord. And so uh, it all starts with a problem. And how many of you came to begin to seek the Lord because of a problem? Anybody? Yeah, most hands go up. Uh, And that's our story. Naaman's story is our story. Now, the message tonight in Naaman's coming to faith is that God is a good God. He is gracious. His love and mercy knows no boundary. And he's all about saving lost sinners, whoever they are, whatever they've done. And so first we have here, Naaman's introduced. And so the story is going to start to sound really familiar because he's got a lot of good things going uh, for him as an unbeliever. You know, he's kind of got it together. Even though he doesn't know Yahweh, he, he does have it together as far as having it together, humanly speaking, goes. Now, uh, he's number two man in Syria, as I've said. He's skilled military man. He's a mighty man of valor. Now, the scriptures use that term for men like King David and uh, the judges of uh, Gideon and Jephthah. And so he was a great military uh, strategist. He was highly esteemed and honored. He had wealth, as we're going to see. He had notoriety. He had power and prestige. He was successful. Now, notice in his success, I think it's very intriguing here, even in verse 1, that the Lord had given this man uh, victory, even in his pursuit against Israel. I mean, he was successful, but the Lord had made this unbeliever who didn't acknowledge the Lord, didn't know the Lord, but yet God had blessed him because that's how God is. Jesus told us that the Lord causes his son to rise upon the wicked and the righteous. He sends uh, showers of blessing upon those who know him and those who blaspheme his name. He's kind to the ungrateful. That's just how God is. And so here's this guy. He's serving as the commander of an enemy army against God's people, but the Lord has blessed him still, even though he doesn't acknowledge him. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said this, Jehovah is the covenant God of Israel, but he's also Lord of all the nations and can use any person saved or unsaved to accomplish Uh, his will. So very interesting that this man, God is already at work in his life. And like most of us, we didn't realize it. We didn't realize it. So 
People who have material blessings like Naaman uh, seldom turn to the Lord until they have a little problem uh, that all their money or their power or success or influence can't solve. Like Jesus said, a camel will have an easier time going through the eye of a needle than a rich person, an affluent person, a successful person will trying to squeeze their way into heaven. And so... Here we have this guy who's really well off in a lot of ways, uh, but those three terrible letters, B-U-T, but, however, okay? All that power and prestige, but one day, the man, Naaman, who could have appeared on the cover of Time magazine as man of the year, he wakes up and he finds that he has a little red oozing sore and they all know what that means. And when he became aware of it, His heart just sunk. I mean, can you imagine his wife who's looking at it and realizes this is uh, leprosy? It's a death sentence. It's going to be a slow, uh, painful, hideous, uh, ungracious way to die. Now, let me, here's a description of it. Ancient leprosy began as a small red spot on the skin. Before too long, the spots get bigger and they start to fester, they turn white and sort of shiny and scaly in appearance. Uh, I'm going to keep reading uh, with my apologies. <laughs> Pretty soon the sores spread over the whole body and the hair begins to fall out, first from the head and even the eyebrows. As things get worse, fingernails and toenails become loose. They start to rot away or they are just absorbed by the body or eventually fall off. These are the ends of your fingers and toes and your nose and your ears. Then the joints of the fingers and toes begin to rot away, fall off piece by piece. Gums begin to shrink and they can't hold the teeth anymore. So each of them is lost Uh, Leprosy keeps eating away at your face until literally the nose, the palate, and even the eyes just collapse. Uh, The throat becomes hoarse, and so you can... uh, I'm reading commentators, and they say you can see them coming, you can hear them, the raspy voice, and you can smell them. And so he gets a spot. He's got his whole life figured out. Everything's going great, but he's got the spot. And nothing in Naaman's life, with all that vast notoriety, power and prestige, all his resources, nothing you can do about stopping that little red spot from taking over and growing and eventually being your demise. And so... Leprosy in the Bible, of course, most of you know, is a metaphor for sin. Israel knew right away, and in fact, they isolated them, and they had to announce their presence. Uh, Not so in Syria. They don't have moral laws. They don't understand it, but uh, they would announce themselves as unclean. But uh, the metaphor for sin is so so right on. Um, Sin is ugly, loathsome, incurable, contaminating. It separates men from God and makes them outcasts. So 
Uh, Just as the leprous garments are fit only for the fire in the Old Testament, that's what you would do with those garments. Uh, One commentator said, so too those who uh, die clothed in sin. If you die as a leper, you're headed for the same destiny as the clothing, says Jesus in Mark chapter 9 and verse 43. So time for some good news. Um, That blessed little spot, that nasty, festering, deadly sore is potentially the best thing that has ever happened to Naaman because it's the awareness of that sore and what it's going to do to him that brings him to the Lord eventually. Now he's going to start that blessed journey. You know C.S. Lewis, and I've said it many times, uh, God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world is pain. He whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. So he's shouting. He's shouting to Naaman. Now, anyone who discovers this bad news uh, or has been dealt a deadly blow Uh, As God would have it, he always makes sure that there's somebody in your life who can direct you to the cure. Always. Always when God allows a disaster or a tragedy or a red spot to be discovered, when they become aware, listen, I've got a death sentence over me. There's always somebody there in the room who can say, hey, I I know somebody. I know somebody who knows somebody who can fix this problem with the gospel. And so uh, I'll give you a quick illustration of that. And it's happened many times. Um, I was subbing in the early days of the church. Um, I was subbing at the high school Maria Carrillo in over there on the other side of town. And I arrived early in a class where a teacher was just leaving that I was going to sub in that room The room was empty, except she was on the phone facing the wall. I walked in. I didn't even know uh, she was in there. And she was finishing a conversation, and I'm by the door. I walked over a little bit, uh, and she turned around, and she hung up the phone, and she said, huh, I just got told by my doctor that I have cancer. And I was dead quiet, and she's facing me, and there's nobody in the room. I just found out the doctor just told me I've got cancer. I said, well, I'm a pastor and I've had that phone call as I survived a bone marrow transplant years ago and I'm fine today. And I'd like to be able to pray for you. Can I pray for you? And she goes, absolutely. Yeah, not a Christian. So I was able to because God brought the red spot and said, Joan, you got a red spot. And I know this guy. I brought this guy here. He's had a red spot, as everybody does. And he can share uh, with you the answer. And so I was able to do that. But so uh, there's this anonymous young girl in the story. And, and how did she get there? She was kidnapped. So the armies of Syria swarm down into Israel and they take whoever they want back with them. 
you know, and especially people of distinction. And we saw that with the exiles, uh, Daniel and Meshach and Abednego, uh, all of those guys, you know, and uh, they go unwillingly, but they become God's missionaries where God uh, allows them to be placed. And so here they came in and they scooped up this, this young girl and said, you know what, you're going to be a servant in the house of the number two guy in Syria because she must have had some character qualities. She must have been a really uh, together young lady. So there she is. Uh, I can imagine the, the wife crying herself to sleep or there she is. Uh, doom has come over the household and this young Hebrew girl who was raised to know the scriptures and Yahweh and the hope that we have in him, here she is taken captive against her own will and look at the sweet heart and the the forgiveness rather. No bitterness. She could say, you know, it serves your husband right. You know, I don't have a mom and dad now. You guys, I'm serving you guys in a foreign country. But she doesn't do that. She says, hey, ma'am, listen up. I know somebody who knows somebody who could really bring a cure here. I want to tell you the good news about the God of Israel. If anybody should have been quiet and said, you know what, serves you right, God's judging you. I'm going to tell you anything good. What a lesson for us. What a lesson. Uh, One writer said, rather than withhold the saving truth from Naaman, who caused her much grief. She overcomes evil with good by loving her enemies and praying for those who have uh, mistreated her. Withholding the gospel from those we deem undeserving is a great sin indeed. I started thinking before we move on about her parents. I would presume that they know the Lord and that they're in, in heaven now and how proud they must be of their daughter to be in the story as really the hero without this unnamed girl who gets over her own bitterness and her own bias and her own uh, hurt. And she, without her, you don't have the story. Take away the whole chapter and take away his life. You see? I just, I just thought, wow, what a daughter, what a son. How to be proud, how, way to be proud of them. So, uh, so what do we got? We got an influential, courageous Syrian warrior general. A lot going for him. A deadly disease started. They've heard the gospel through their Jewish housekeeper, and now uh, they're going to go check out the God of Israel and the prophet Elisha. Uh, so uh, here we go. Four through seven. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Syria replies. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, uh, taking with him 10 talents of silver, that's 750 pounds of silver, and 6,000 shekels of gold, that's 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of fabulous festive robes finely woven clothing and that's Macy's right now (laughs) now verse 6 the letter that he took to the king of Israel read with this letter I am sending my servant Naaman 
to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. <laughs> so that's the king of Syria sending a letter with Naaman to the, to the enemy king of Israel saying, hey, one line, short, sweet, to the point. I'm sending this guy to you so that you'll cure him of his leprosy. Uh, verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill him, bring back to life? Why, did the, why does this guy send someone to me uh, to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a fight with me. So let's pause there and think about that. So first, you, you, you're coming to the Lord, you've got to recognize your need. And then secondly, you've got to have faith. And so this is where the faith is going to have to start for our brother Naaman. So uh, off to a good start. He believes the word. I mean, he's going to have to travel 100 miles. He believes. He's a believer. But you know, when I went to Alaska, I, I was on a fishing trip there. I was very blessed. And uh, when, you, when you're deep sea fishing for the halibut, when you get a, a fish to bite, you say, fish on. And it's really cool. And there comes the fight, right? Well, it's been fish on right now. And now there's going to be a big, long battle to get this big boy into the lifeboat, all right? And so fish on, he believes the word. Hey, I know somebody who can cure you. The God of Israel through this prophet. He's like, I'm going. Why is he going? Because he believes. But, you know, it's going to turn out to be a little bit different than he has imagined in his mind. And so, since the two countries are not on friendly terms, there needs to be a letter so that people don't freak out when they see the king, uh, the king's commander coming down uh, from Syria into Israel. And so, he's going to send this letter with him. Uh, now, Naaman goes to his king, uh, the king of Syria for some counsel and permission. Hey, this girl's telling me I can be cured. And you know, we've heard about these things that happened down there with this God of theirs. So I'd like to go. So he says, hey boss, our Jewish maid knows of this prophet. She's very confident that I can get cured. We've heard that this God does the, these deeds. He parted the Red Sea and all of that. I'm desperate. He says, boss, I gotta go. I gotta go. And the guy goes, you're going to go. I'm going to write a letter. We're going to send a lot of money. And we're going to get this thing done. Now, interesting with the letter. Uh, oh, by the way, it's about $3 million total in today's money. All right. Interesting letter, as brief as it is. I'm sending my general and my army so that you'll cure him of leprosy. Now, the Syrian king is mistaken on a couple uh, matters. Number one he thinks a man like Elisha would be on the court. So he's, there's no mention of Elisha. He's just like, hey, you know, uh, Elisha's right there standing next to you because a guy like that would obviously be like on your royal cabinet. <laughs> no. <laughs> the, the king of Israel is a pagan. He is not interested in having Elisha anywhere around. And so uh, he doesn't understand that, that they're not buddies. And secondly, he seems to assume that all the people in Israel, the king included, is in touch with the same God and has the same ability and power that Elisha has. So, you know, he doesn't mention Elisha. You say, hey, king, he wants to be healed. You know the same God as Elisha knows, and so you have the same access. So uh, we're just, I'm just assuming that you have the same relationship with Eli as Elisha has with God. 
So what Elijah can do and hope for and pray, so could you because you've got the same God. And how much more? You're the king. You should be representing everybody. You should be a role model, right? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> so uh, that's not the case at all. So you would think it would be. So notice the king of Israel's reaction. He's horrified that he's being asked to accomplish something that only God can. Oh, don't think that he's doing something holy when he tears his robe. He's not. He, he's upset that this king is asking for something that he cannot do, and therefore he is going to be in harm's way because he can't deliver the goods. So he's not ripping his robe because, uh, woe is me, I'm not worthy to do such a thing. He's ripping his robe because he thinks he's in hot water now. He thinks the king is saying, I'm sending you $3 million and my man here. And I want this guy cured. And if you send him back as a rebuff to that and say, I don't want your $3 million, and no, we're not going to heal him, then we're going to come down and take business. We're going to take care of you. That's why he tears his robe. We're all cooked. Because there's a spiritual uh, opportunity here, a request that there's no way that I could ever meet that. So he tears his robes saying, we're all going to go down. Because he says, what is this guy doing? This, isn't a, this is a trick. He just wants me to send him back and so that they can come in here and, and, and pound us into the dirt because uh, we didn't heal the way. So he tears his robes and so, you know, there's no way I can cure him. We're all going to die. You know, maybe God used this misunderstanding to try to help the king of Israel to start to humble himself and seek the Lord. And instead of tearing his robe to rend his heart and say, God, this, this guy, I'm in a trouble here. If I don't deliver the goods here, I'll have this opportunity to show your power and strength. But since I don't walk with you, oy vey, we're all going to die. So. so now the palace is in mourning because they have no faith and uh, they can't deliver. So verses 8 through 13. Now when Elisha, the man of God, hears that the king of Israel's torn his robes, oh no, we can't do this. He sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes, you big baby? Have the, Sorry, the, the big baby part. It's in Hebrew and it's really hard to see. It was not there. All right. Why have you torn your robes Have the man come to me, and he'll know that there's still a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sends a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father... 
just a way of endearment. When you really want to get through to a person, back in the day, you would say, my father, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? All right, so let's pause there. So in the road to salvation, you're going to have to recognize the ugly truth, one. Two, you're going to have to believe the word. You're going to have to start a journey of faith there. And number three, you're going to have to humble yourself. There's no way up in God's economy without going down. Amen? Jesus said, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this proud warrior has to lose every bit of pride and self-confidence, and it starts with (laughs) Elisha's greeting or lack thereof. So Elisha hears that the king of Israel is curled up in the fetal position with a box of tissues and a gallon of ice cream. That's what I do. <laughs> the ice cream part. <laughs> sends, uh, so he sends a message to the palace. What's all the boo-hooing about? Dry your eyes. Everybody relax. There's still someone who knows God left in the country. Send him to me. Now, something in me just resonated with that. How about you? That didn't, doesn't that just make you want to rise up and be a hero in, a, in, 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 in an age, in a church age, that is just weak and insipid and, and sick and twisted and lukewarm to be able to say, hey, there's, there's a Christian left in this crazy mixed up world that is going to speak the truth and have the power of God through the living word to see a life transformed. If you want to see your life transformed, hey, come talk to me. I will pray for you. I, I will show you the scriptures. I will not water anything down. I have a backbone. I have courage. I know the living God. He's in my life. I talk with him every day. He answers my prayers. You can come to me. I'm going to tell you the way it is. I'm going to open up the book. We're going to pray. And you're going to see results. I'm excited. (laughs) That's what he's saying. Everybody's crying. Oh, no. He wants to see a miracle. (laughs) We can't do miracles, right? These are the Jews. <laughs> These are the Jews. All God does with them is miracles after miracles. Oh, what a miracle. Oh, no. What do we do? And Elijah says, listen, you know, not everybody has abandoned the faith. There's still a guy here who actually believes all of this. Bring him to me. Bring him to me. So the leprous Syrian general heads off to Elisha's humble house. Number one, he's miffed. Why is he miffed? Number one, what do you mean I go to you? I'm second in charge. I have led crusades against your nation and conquered you guys on more than one occasion. I am a general. Everybody knows who I am. I'm second only to the king. You come to me. What are you talking about? You... Send him to me. Okay, I've got to take orders now. <laughs> yeah, get used to it. 
<laughs> Get used to taking orders, all right? Because you're not going to be a king when you come into the kingdom. You know what you're going to be? A servant. Oh, he doesn't like the word, sound of that word. Uh, secondly, when Naaman arrives, he sends down a servant, a houseboy. Hey, are you the one? Oh, yeah. Are you number two in charge, whatever? Okay. Yeah. You're the one. All right. He told me to tell you, just go down. It's 25 miles this way to the Jordan. Dunk yourself seven times and you come up clean. All right. See you later. (laughs) His blood pressure is building. Me and the king of Syria, we're like this. I'm important. I'm a big deal. All right. Who are you? A houseboy? Yeah, I just gotta, I wash dishes. I take out the trash. And he just said, hey, you, go down in here. Yeah, yeah. He's not happy. You know, uh, Warren Wearsby, Elisha knew that Naaman had to be humbled before he could be healed. He's accustomed to the protocol of the palace. This esteemed leader expected to be recognized publicly and his lavish gifts accepted with exaggerated appreciation because that's the way kings do things. Well, now you're going to start dealing with the king and things have got to change. You've got to get used to taking orders and submitting and thinking nothing of yourself. So that if a houseboy tells you, hey, he told me to tell you to go do this, you're going to go do it if you want to get healed. Now, uh, he's 6'4", probably, 230 lean pounds. He's packing 3 million bucks. He's got an impressive record in the military. You know, he's got trophies. He's got plaques. And, you know, he's got a place in who's who. The only place he's not listed is in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you're not going to get in the Lamb's Book of Life until you get rid of all of the above. Or you stop trusting in all of the above. Like the Apostle Paul. But whatever was gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. All his little trophies, the Apostle Paul, all his plaques on the wall, all his degrees, all of this and all of that, he says, garbage. In fact, the word in the Greek there, is to be fed to the dogs or dog food, all right? He says, everything I once held dear, I count all as lost. And still, until we do that, you know, this guy hasn't done it, and so the Lord is just working on him. Verse 12, he's had it, you know. uh, Naaman thought he had it all figured out. He goes off in a rage. This proud warrior blows a head gasket now, And here's what he's saying. Here's how I wanted this to go, all right? I had this all worked out. The prophet comes out to greet me appropriately. Uh, He looks over the affected area, and he's wowed. Wow, impressive. Oh, look at that. It goes, oh, yeah. Oh, And then he waves his hand over the spot, and 
And then an anguished look on his face and he calls on the name of the Lord in a fervent Hebrew prayer. And presto, changeo, I'm cured. He's impressed with me. I'm impressed with him. And I hand over a fortune. And we're good to go. Right? Wrong. (laughs) And then he says, by the way, the River Jordan, seriously, it was known for being a little bit on the muddy side, right? And we saw that across from Jericho. It still is a little bit on the muddy side. But the, the, the two rivers he mentions, oh, they're fed from the, the, the snow-capped mountains. of the, There's a, a Manus Mountains. And he says, we've got better rivers, too. One writer said this, yes, we have to come and accept God's terms for our salvation because he works the way he wants to, not the way we wish him to. But it doesn't stop there. We must also accept what God allows for us to walk through in life without objecting and being offended when his will for us is different than what we had in mind. Oh, I just had a conversation. I can't tell you much about it. But there was a condition laid out. If God doesn't do X, Y, and Z, I've had it. Now, I can sympathize with the list, and there was a long list, and now there's a big thing. And I said, now's not the time you want to make a, a condition on your relationship with God Wouldn't it be better and smarter and wiser for you to imitate Brother Job who suffered more than you and me and this whole church together? Though he kill me, though he comes at me with a sword, yet will I trust him. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be his name. Shall we accept only good from God and not bad? This is Brother Job. This is why he's in the book. This is why the Lord let it happen to Job. So so for thousands of years, somebody could say, look at Job before you write out the conditions. One more time and I'm done with you. Oh, here's my boundaries. You can have this, this, and this. You mess over here, I'm out. What's the first thing you want to do if you hear something like that? I mean, not that God is like us, but if someone told me that, I'd be tempted to say, oh, well, let's get it over with now. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, that's not not a good thing to do. And so we, we just have to trust the Lord for good, for bad. You know, when you get married, you do have vows, right? And what are the vows? I promise in good times and when you're healthy and for rich and for happy. Let's see. Oh, poorer. Oh, is poorer in there? And And sickness? And in hard times? Oh, oh. It's not just the other half? Right? That's the whole deal. Oh, Christians just think they can sign up. You know, it's God's job to make me happy and prosper me and answer all my prayers the way I ask them to. Or else, you won't be seeing me around here much. 
Okay. Don't do that. Just don't do that. He's the Lord. He's working it all out. Everybody's going to suffer. Every single person has a cross to bear. I'll enter another quiet hero or two. It's plural, the servants. So, so the servants have something to say to him. And here's what they say. Uh, let me paraphrase. Uh, my father... If this guy would have told you to swim shark-infested waters, climb Mount Everest, and fight angry lions, you would have done it, right? How much more willing and relieved should you be that he's just saying take a dip in some water and come out cured? Amen? Amen. Well, well, the line, fish on, the fight, it relaxes a little bit. And who's the other hero? Oh, it's, it's not the evangelist, it's not the prophet, it's not some hoity-toity real spiritual person. It's some nameless servant who said, hey, I, I kind of have faith now, I'm getting excited. And man, you're about to miss your miracle. Let me just encourage you, man, come on, it's not a big deal, let's go. 25 miles, what do you got to lose, hello? <laughs> All right. Another hero, another hero. You don't have to be a pastor or an evangelist. You could just be somebody who's alongside somebody you see, hey, you're missing it. You're going to miss out on a miracle. Let me just say a few words to try to reason with you. And God took those words of these nobodies who are not listed by name. And because of them, he decides, I'm going to do it. Anybody can be a hero. Anybody could be a hero. Don't just have to be uh, the uh, Elisha. 14 through 19a. So he decides, okay, yeah, you're right. What do I got to lose? So he goes down, dips himself. The word there in the Hebrew really is plunged. I like that because it shows he's he's jumped the hurdle. (laughs) He's plunged himself into the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answers. Elisha says, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I'm not accepting a thing from you. And even though Naaman urged him on, he refused. Okay, if you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing when my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down and he is leaning on my arm and I bow there also when I bow down in the temple of Rimon. May the Lord forgive your servant for this. And Elisha says, go in peace. All right. So number one, on the road to salvation, you recognize your great helpless need. Uh, Number two, you believe the word the gospel, the good news. Number three, you humble yourself. And number four, um, 
you trust and obey. He's made well or whole now, number four. So uh, what do you know? Naaman's one of us. He turns out to be a believer. The grace of God prevails. He decides, you know, with a little prompting from his servant buddies, um, I'm going to throw out all my pride. I'm going to uh, get rid of my preconceived ideas, and I'm going to do things God's way. 32 miles, it turns out to be later. Uh, He gets off his high horse, and he descends down the riverbanks into the muddy waters of the Jordan while the onlookers all hold their breath. Oh, that's another video I must see. I just got to see that one. Everybody's two. And they're all counting in Hebrew, of course, you know. And then on the seventh time, he comes up and he's like, oh, like a, like a baby's skin. That, that is pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Of course, it's a picture of getting born again. You do realize that. For if anybody's in Christ, they're new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Now, interesting little play on words. Just throw this out for you. Verse 14, his skin is restored, but the word in Hebrew there means turned around. His skin is turned around, and then in verse 15, so is he. That's the idea. His skin was turned around, and then so was his heart. Now I know there's only one God in the whole world, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel. D.L. Moody said this about this text. He lost his temper, then he lost his pride, and he lost his leprosy. And that is generally the order in which proud, rebellious sinners are converted. Now, like we have with most conversions, there, there's awe, there's joy, there's excitement, and now there's 32 miles uh, to go, to rejoice, to go back, because he wants to say thank you to the Lord, and he wants to say thank you to the Lord's servant, right? And now Elisha is present, of course, because God uh, accomplished his objective, right? He was using that whole thing to humble him. And so now he's out there and there's hugs and there's all kinds of things, right? And now he's saying, I know there's only one true God. And he's saying it before Elisha. Elisha's smiling. And, uh, uh, he renounces false religions. He, his past ignorance, the exclusiveness of God of the Bible, he acknowledges. Uh, uh, and when God touches a heart, people want to give. So he wants to give. He says, brother, Elisha says, hey, you know what? Not today. By God's name, I'm not taking a dime. Take it back, do something you want with it. Have a big party back there with your family. But this was an act of God. Elisha doesn't want to confuse the guy. It's by grace that we're saved. It had nothing to do with your money at all. I never thought one second about your money. That's what he wants him to take away with him. So uh, then he says, and I love this, 
Look at verses 17 and 18. It's so endearing on Naaman's part. He says, okay, you're not going to take anything, but allow me to take something back, if you guys don't mind. Help me scoop up some dirt here, as much as two mules could carry. And here's what I want to do. He's a young Christian, as we would call him. He's baby. So he can't imagine himself going back to his life in Syria. He knows he's going to have to go to the temple of Rimon. He says, you know what I want to do? Oh, I want to, I'm never going to offer anything except to God. But I want to bring the soil. I want to put it where I go in the temple. I'm going to pat it down there. And it's going to be the soil of Israel, holy ground. And when I go on that little place and I offer my thing, I'm offering it to God and I'm standing as a Jew, as an Israelite, as somebody who's a believer in Yahweh and I'm offering it to him. But I want to stand on soil that I know is from the promised land. Let me bring some of the dirt back with me. He's a baby. You know what? uh, Elisha's probably going... (coughs) You know, but uh, he's not going to say... And then he says, hey, and i got to ask forgiveness in advance. Because I know I'm going to go in there. And what if, what if he... What if the king leans on me a little bit and I go down on one knee? I I know it's going to happen. It is not in my heart to do. I don't believe in that thing. I believe in Yahweh. So may the Lord, pray to the Lord for me, man. Because there's no way I can picture me getting out of that. I've got family, I've got obligations, I've got everybody's got eyes around me. What he doesn't understand, and this is why Elisha says, go in peace, bro. When he gets back there, he's going to be more of a man of God than he ever dreamed. And there's a lot of times when someone gets saved, they're like, I can't tell anybody. They'll tell me right here. Oh, I got saved. Yes, tears and everything. I can't tell anybody. What do you mean you can't tell anybody? Oh, they'll all turn on me. (laughs) Uh, One guy, remember the Jew I told you about the Jewish boy? The Jewish boy said, oh man, I brought my Jewish Bible with me. And it's word for word with the words that you're reading. I go, no kidding. <laughs> and he says to me, he says, oh man, I need the Lord. I'm a believer now. But he, and he said, I raised my hand. I said the prayer. I'm in. But I'll never tell my parents. I said, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> but there was still a go in peace. Go in peace. You're going to tell your parents. But when you're first converted, you don't know. I can't picture. I can't picture not going and bowing my knee and doing something with this. So he says, man, just listen. You're in God's hands. God knows your heart. God will take care of you. And I believe Elisha's thinking, oh, you wait and see. You wait and see what kind of lighthouse you're going to be up there. And one day you're going to look at the king and say, king, I ain't going in there. Because that's a false god. But it may not be the first day he gets back to Syria. And Elijah's cool with that. Elijah says, just go in peace and trust the Lord and he'll work this all out for you. You know, sometimes we lay, you know, I like that he didn't say, listen, man, you go back there, you put your finger out in the king's face. And you say, listen, that's a false god. I'm not going in there. Let God work in their hearts. Yeah, we could tell somebody, you know, it's not really cool that you're living together right now. You know, 
but you know they're not going to leave church and go go home and move out necessarily that night. Just go go in peace. You tell them the truth. Now I hear all of you in your minds. I hear exactly what you're saying. So let me read the quote. Don't ever use the spiritual immaturity and presumptive fear of Naaman to justify your own moral compromise. Who knows what happened when Naaman returned to Syria? Perhaps the warrior found the courage to tell the king he's on his own in the temple of the false god. Perhaps he found the strength to come out from among them to be separate as God would call us all to do. Do not take your cues from guys like Naaman, new Christians, new babies, but take your cues from Bible heroes, not new converts. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's just breeze through. I'll read it all in one setting, and it's one quick fall away from the faith. All right? After Naaman had traveled some distance, okay, so he's going home to Syria. He's a happy man. Gehazi, crazy Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. The servant of Elisha, the man of God, says to himself, my master was way too easy on Naaman, the Assyrian, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives. See, he's justifying it. He's thinking, oh, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurries after Naaman. When Naaman sees him running toward him, he gets down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything okay? He asks. Oh, everything's all right, Gehazi says. My master, Elisha, sent me to say, hey, two young men, from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. Oh, by all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, He took the things from the servants and put them away in the house and he sent the men away and they left. Then he went in and stood before his master, Elisha. Where have you been, Gehazi? Elisha asked. "Uh, Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. (laughs) Did you like my tone of voice? (laughs) I've had practice apparently. Uh, Verse 26. But Elisha But Elisha says to him, wasn't my spirit with you when the man got down from the chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or accept clothes or olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, herds, or men servants and maidservants? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and he was leprous as white as snow. I have written down here, yikes. (laughs) All right, so we've seen how to come to faith. Let's just talk real quickly about how to fall away from the faith to be an apostate, which means to depart from the faith. And it all starts with the mind and what I call stinking thinking, all right? So here's his unbridled thoughts, and I think you should pay attention here because there are some people in here who potentially can fall away. 
in a group this big? Will every last person in here finish well? Probably not, unfortunately. So I do think that we need to pay attention here. It all starts with your thinking. And here's how it went. He's thinking to himself. And number one, he's lying to himself. All right? So here's what he's saying. I mean, we all get crazy ideas. And when you entertain them and nurture them and put them into action, that's when the disaster comes. And so here's what he's saying. Hey, man, Elisha's too soft-hearted. He's being too spiritual. Elisha deserves it. You know, a workman is, is worthy of his wages. You know, uh, nothing wrong with a little thank you. I mean, the guy wants to feel acknowledged. He's lying to himself because he really wants uh, to get his hands on some of that fortune. And I'm suppo- I suppose he would say, as we all know, that we justify what we want to do by saying to ourselves something godly, like just think of all the good that I could do with those resources for the Lord, right? And so Gehazi can't stand seeing all those millions go uh, fading away into the uh, sunset. And so he goes after them. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. When you're thinking thoughts, which every human sinner does, please Acknowledge that, that up from your wicked heart and mine come the stupidest, foulest, most foolish thoughts ever. And you're, you know, you cannot stop the bird from flying over, but you can stop it from building a nest, right? And, and so here's where the Holy Spirit comes in. You say, dear Father, God, can you believe I even thought that? That is stupid. That is rebellious. That is sinful. Thank you that you have taken the coal from the altars of heaven and touched my mind and covered my sin and made me a new creation. I, in Jesus' name, I crucify myself with that thought. I take every thought captive and make it obedient to, the, to Christ. What happens is there's a bunch of Christians running around with all kinds of thoughts and they do nothing. They do nothing about them and they're ruled by them. They let them grow like weeds until they choke out the life of all the good flowers in the garden. They don't do the weeding. Do the weeding by the power of the Holy Spirit. Stand up inside and say, and filter those things. They come in and there's lies and covetousness and envy and jealousy and superiority and I'm better than them and they think they're better than me and all of that stuff. You just need to stop and say, that is a sinful thought and I, in the name of Jesus, come against it. I take it captive by the power of God and I bring it down. Or it will bring you down. So many Christians that I know, they do no work mentally. No work. It's too hard. It's not good. So here's what makes me sick about the passage, is that Elisha and the girl who witnessed to, to Naaman did so with purity and he knows there was nothing to do with his position or power or money 
It was so pure. And then he sees him running frantically and, he, and he's so upset by what he sees. Naaman, the new Christian, and he comes down off the chariot and he thinks something's really wrong. Is everything okay? Did Elijah have a heart attack? What's, what's wrong? What's, what's panicking you? But he's like, oh no, no, everything's fine. <laughs> you still got the money? <laughs> In the back of Naaman's mind, he remembers... I swear in God's name, I'm not taking a dime from you. Oh, my master changed his mind. Two guys came, you know, out from the sticks. You know how poor they are, those men of God up there. They're doing a work. They're doing a work up there. Sorry, I don't know. I don't know where the southern accent comes. Anyway. They're doing a work, and they don't have a lot of resources. And Elisha said, you know, maybe I spoke too fast. Maybe you could just give him a, a... a thousand, uh, what is it, a talent or whatever it is, right? And he goes, hey, take two. But in his heart, he's grieved. He's like yucked out, like, oh, he does want the money. He does want the money. And why does Elisha say, what I saw was to look on the guy's face when he came down to greet you. That's all I saw, Gehazi. I saw the look on his face when he found out you wanted money representing me and the gospel. Wow. Not good. G. Campbell Morgan on this verse, the deepest wrong in the action of Gehazi was that it involved the divine witness which had been given to the Syrian, Naaman, by the sweet spirit of the young Hebrew girl who first shared the good news and then by the pure dealings of Elisha. Their behavior was wholly disinterested in personal gain, but they were only seeking the glory of God and wanting the best for Naaman with no material reward for themselves as it should be. So verse uh, 26, he says, man, listen, this isn't the time or place to be concerned about taking from people. It's about giving and ministering to people. It's not about cars and private jets and big mansions and Rolex watches and lavish lifestyles. Now, if God wants to bless somebody with wealth, that's God's business. But this was a no-no because it was manipulation. It was ill-gotten gains. It was deceitful, right? Now, he says, now the only thing you're going to get from Naaman is his sins, his leprosy. You're not going to be able to enjoy a dime of that ill-gotten gain. And some of you may be thinking, why, do, why do, do his boys now have to deal with leprosy? Because leprosy is contagious and the boys are raised by the father and they raise their kids and it just goes on and on and on. And so the, the word of the Lord through Elisha is like, you know what? You are so hard-hearted that not even this is going to change you and you're going to pass that on to a couple of your kids and they're going to pass it on to their kids and it's just going to run in your family. Until one of them breaks the chain 
and believes in the Lord. And that happens. And that's the hope. Hey, let me close with this uh, illustration about how how Naaman got cleansed by seven dippings. It reminded me the seven times, reminded me of the cure that's performed in Leviticus 14. And in Leviticus 14, if somebody were to come to the temple and to the priest and say, I used to be a leper, check me out, I've been cured by God. There was a prescribed way to test that and to affirm that and send him back into the community. Now listen to this. The priest shall order that two live clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the one to be cleansed. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over the fresh water in a clay pot. Clay pot always stands for a human body. So the blood of this bird goes into the clay pot with the water. He is then to take the live bird and dip it together with cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop into into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the infectious disease and pronounce him clean. Then he is to release the live bird in the open field. The live bird that's got dunked in the blood of the the sin-bearing bird. Listen to what goes into the cup to pronounce a leper who's a sinner stands for sinner, to be cleansed and fly away free, right? Look what goes in the cup. A scarlet thread. A scarlet thread hangs from Rahab's window that saves her and her household. A scarlet thread goes through the whole Old Testament wherever you see the blood of Passover and, and all of the offerings. You have this thread. What did Jesus wear? He wore a a robe of scarlet threaded fabric. So you have Jesus there. Why would you take a piece of wood, cedar wood? Cedar wood is probably the, the, the cross was made out of probably cedar wood, most commentators think. So you take the yarn of Rahab, the purple yarn of the robe of Christ, you take the cedar wood of the cross of Jesus Christ and the hyssop, and you put that in the cup. And the hyssop plant was used in all ceremonial cleansing of anything in the temple. And when Jesus, our sin offering, was up on that cross of cedar wood, having just worn purple, they lifted on a branch of hyssop. All three things come together in Jesus, a a sponge of vinegar on the stalk of a hyssop plant. Of course, hyssop was used to cleanse that which was defiled. Dip the bird in that. This bird's dead. This bird, fly away free. Go back in clean. Free, flying in the skies, soaring to the heavens. A picture. So why does the Lord say seven times in the river Jordan where our Lord would be 
dipped as our sin offering, where the river would part to bring in the people of God for the very first time into the promised land. It's the Jordan. Go to the Jordan where the Savior will be, where, that, where God will open it up and bring in his people into the promised land. Go there and dip seven times and fly away free. Go back home to Syria, a clean man. This is no story from 2,800 years ago. This is your story from today and mine as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's a big chapter, but there's a lot of truths in there. Just encourage us, Lord. This is a, a big deal. We are important to you. We have found the truth, and may that truth set our hearts free even tonight. May we take these things down deep and live by them. And may you nurture them to us. May they become real and not just stuff we know about, but things we live by. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together, closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.